Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Lard, brains, eggs, and cream cheese were beaten together. The mixture was then wrapped in fig leaves in the same way as puddings were tied in a cloth much later, and boiled in chicken or goat kid broth, then untied and given a final cooking in boiling honey. This is Pollock's recipe for a pudding called Threon, which survives from a papyrus fragment. Pollux was a Greek scholar and rhetorician from Naucratis in ancient Egypt. Emperor Commodus appointed him a professor chair of rhetoric in Athens at the Academy on account of his melodious voice, or at least that's what we know according to Philostratus, Lives of the Sophists. Pollux died in 238 AD in Athens. Of course, this recipe survives in papyrus fragments, as I said, and um, it's in ancient Greek. And what we've got here, it seems like it's a boiled pudding, traditional English uh, cloth boiled pudding or steamed pudding, in a sense, which is very, very interesting. This threon must have been an Athenian national dish, uh, since the comedic playwright Aristophanes evidently used it, uh, or at least alludes to, in his comedy The Frogs, and that uh, rough translation of... Uh, of the passage there of his comedy, it's something like, I'd pulverize both wrapped puddings of my brain. Now, Kratis in ancient Egypt was um, a place that uh, it was given to the Greeks by Pharaoh Amasis II, or otherwise called Ahmose II, who reigned uh, between 570 and 526 BCE, a pharaoh of the 26th dynasty of Egypt. So Greek merchants took wine and silver to Egypt and returned back with uh, wheat. Some of them eventually formed semi-permanent um, settlements there, which one of them and the largest one was Naucratis. So they settled there and worshipped their own gods. The archaeological evidence, however, suggests that there were Greeks at Naucratis from at least 630 BCE. Why am I mentioning Naucratis in Egypt though, here? The reason is because Athenos was from there, a Greek writer, author, scholar of the 3rd century AD, who wrote the famous text Dipnosophiste, or Philosophers at Dinner. And basically from that text we have many, many surviving fragments of uh, ancient Greek and Roman food culture. 
Hello, my name is Thomas Dinas, and this is the Delicious Legacy Podcast. Welcome back to another archaeogastronomical adventure. And what adventure it is today? I'm really happy to say that um, today's episode has uh, many exciting ancient recipes. Fragments from papyri, fragments from uh, texts, from ancient um, books and discussions between philosophers and uh, any other tantalizing evidence that archaeologists and historians uh, managed to uncover the last hundred or so years. And um, uh, we will discuss ancient chefs, their fame, their uh, egos, their competitive nature, and um, all the kind of things that... um, (laughs) also we find in our modern professional kitchens. Of course, inspiration for today's episode uh, was um, a previous episode I did in season one, episode 29, which was released in August 2021, which is called Recipe Books Buried Under the Sand. And that obviously is from uh, the papyri that they were buried in the ancient city of Oxirinhus. And... um, Yeah, we found a lot of uh, tantalizing evidence there. But there's also various other uh, elements from ancient cookery books and ancient cooking in general that um, we will discuss today from various sources. And so, the first one of these ancient Greek culinary legends we need to mention here Mythaikos. Mythaikos was a cook and a cookbook author of the late 5th century BCE. He was a Sicilian who brought good cooking to Sparta, where it was not welcomed. And this is according to a late source, Maximus of Tyre, and to Athens as well, where his cooking was welcome. He earned a backhanded compliment from Socrates in Plato's Gorgias and a lasting but uh, limited fame. His book, the first known cookbook in Greek, was written in the Doric dialect. It is lost except for Menesithius' two citations and one short verbatim quotation by Athenaeus. And in the latter, there is a recipe for the fish um, Sepola Rubenensis, the tape fish, I believe this is called. So the only surviving recipe by Europe's oldest cookbook author is basically an instruction of dealing with this fish. And it goes like this. Gut, discard the head, rinse, slice, add cheese and oil. Sepola rubensens is a long ribbon-like fish. Now not much sought after, but it seems that it was a delicacy to classical Greeks. So the three notes uh, of the cookery book in Athenaus is um, the following. Mythaikos mentions the Alphestes in his cookery book. Mythaikos, in his cookery book, says, cut the ribbon fish, cut the head off, wash it and cut it into slices, and pour on cheese and oil. And the third fragment, the Lydians were the first to invent karike, on the preparation of which the composers of cookery books have pronounced Glafkos of Locri, Mythaikos, Dionysios, the two Heraclides of Syracusan descent, Agis, Epenetos, Dionysios, Hegesippos, Erasistratos, Ephthidimus and Crito, and in addition Stephanos, 
Actas, Acestios, Acestias, Diocles, and Philistion. So on these fragments, we note that um, generally fine fish were the main component of uh, the hot cuisine of the time, and it seems that they were plentiful off the coast of Sicily. And from that also we can derive, um, like by proxy, that uh, meat was classified as a festive, but often not suitable for hot cuisine. From the second fragment, we find that clear practical instructions resemble those of Archestratus, but the only difference is that the taste for cheese in the fish it was something that Archestratus, the later author and uh, gourmand, was rejected uh, by him anyway. Now the third fragment is quite interesting and quite um, telling because this famous sauce Karike, which was originally from Lydia, uh, which Lydia is in Western Asia Minor, basically it tells us that um, the book of Mythaikos clearly extended to other traditions and other cuisines than the Sicilian Greeks and even to a tradition with a meat-based specialty. Now, if I'm not mistaken, from Karike we derive the, the modern Greek word Karikevma, which means something added as an extra uh, on the food. Generally, it can be something like sukarikevma, uh, the word karikevma, some combination of uh, dried spices or other additional stuff that put on the food for extra flavor and uh, to give an added aroma or taste to the food. So anyway, from that little bit about sauces, we also get that um, sauces were often associated with luxury, and it's something that we see in other cultures too. The cooking of Mythaikos could uh, be described as luxurious in, on those accounts, like the use of fish and whole fish and uh, sauces. Now, the mention of these names on the list, it seems like um, these people were doctors advising on diet, especially Diocles. Diocles certainly anyway. So it seems like um, the others were chefs, cooks, famous cookbook authors or dietitians, doctors and all of that stuff together. So this was uh, Mythaikos, the first um, and earliest cookbook author of Europe and of the Greek world that we know of. Another tempting guesswork we can make about another famous chef called Paxamus or cookbook author is uh, that the barley biscuit, which we call Paximadion in Greek, and in ancient Greek was called too, seems to be named after him. So whether he was the inventor of uh, the dry barley biscuit, or he developed recipes with it, or he made some improvements in the recipe, we don't know per se, but uh, there seems to be a connection there. But, but let's go back to ancient Greek cooks and authors. There seems to be two from Syracuse called Heraclides, and Heraclides of Syracuse on cookery is cited five times by Athenaeus on subjects ranging from John Dory to the dietary qualities of eggs. Another one is Chrysippus of Tiana, which was a learned writer on the art of cookery, and um, yeah, some people also say on the art of making bread and, or sweetmeats. And uh, he was called by Athenaeus Sophos Pematologos and seems to have been little known before the time of the latter author. One of his works treated specially of the art of bread making and was entitled Artokopikos. Then there's Glafkos of Locri, and we are told by Athenaeus, the most accomplished gourmand of our classical world, that uh, 
a certain Klafkus of Lokri invented an excellent source called Hisophagma, but we have no other information about this guy. And Athenaeus says that this sauce was made with fried blood, honey, milk, cheese, herbs, and silphium. I really need to make this recipe now and see how it can be done. Also by Athenaeus in Dipnos of Iste, we find a list of uh, seven great chefs. So in Dipnos of Iste, we have passages that a learned chef teaches his apprentice the names of the seven most illustrious chefs and the speciality of each one. So, we have Agis of Rhodes, which was famous for its perfect fish roasts. Nereus of Hios, inventor of conger eel broth, the only broth worthy of the gods. Cariadis of Athens, the master of eggs in white sauce. Apparently, he was also the introducer of foie gras. They say that he was the best cook of the seven, and that everyone admired him. Lampria the Spartan, he was the inventor of one of the most admired dishes of antiquity apparently, the widely consumed by the Spartans, black broth. This was a very thick black soup with meat, pig's blood, red wine and vinegar. Aftoneto, the creator of sausage, and it occurred to him to introduce minced meat with herbs into clean belly of pig, which he then roasted or dried. Eutino, the master of lentils, one of the most common legumes at the time, and Ariston, the, the wise man of stews, he invented numerous stews, perfected steaming and broth reduction, and we have almost nothing from him. So, they have become our second seven wise men, said the cook in the book. And this is um, a throw to the seven sages of Greece, or the seven wise men of Greece, which uh, it was given uh, by classical Greek tradition to seven philosophers, and these uh, were Thales of Miletus, Pitacus of Mytilene, Bias of Prain, Solon of Athens, Periander, Helon of Sparta, and Mison of uh, Henae. Of course, in the same um, text, we also have another very interesting sarcastic passage, which goes something like this. Of all seasonings, the most important in the kitchen is bravado, which tells you a lot about um, the ancient chefs and their ego. And of course, brings into forefront also the modern, uh, competitive, professional uh, chefs. Now, it seems that there was uh, a demand for hired chefs in ancient Greece. And this demand was at private parties. And that reflects a social development which started around the 4th century BCE. It seems like the rich elite in Athens, in particular in Athens, but also in other towns and cities, Polis, the city-states of ancient Greece. So, over several decades, they moved um, towards greater privacy, towards the consents of their friends and families, rather the consents of the community, of the whole polis. So this change of emphasis was probably felt acutely in dining, as home entertainment was undertaken on a scale not seen before. People, of course, uh, still ate at civic and religious functions, but we hear much more of private meals compared to that in the 5th century BC. To reflect this new emphasis and new style, the chef was hired to lay on something special. This increased the demand for novelty and new recipes, and was the motor behind the popularity of the newly discovered form of the recipe book. So we always go to the same question, really. If Mythaikos was so important 
why does so little of his book survive? Three fragments in the text of Athenaeus, basically. That's it. Well, in a sense, the answer is very simple. Cookbooks can be influential in what they inspire, in a way that other chefs mimic recipes, other chefs and cooks want to cook something even more extravagant, even more weird, even more different, more elaborate, more luxurious, and so on. Very influential, but very ephemeral in themselves. Perhaps this is the reason or one of the reasons that cookbooks from antiquity, they haven't survived really. Perhaps they're a form of treatise that the authors think worth writing, but the people do not keep them in long term. And of course, um, cooks and chefs in the ancient world, um, especially during the late Hellenistic era and uh, Roman era, they reached heights uh, of fame similar or comparable to what uh, we call celebrity chefs uh, nowadays, or at least um, they had the respect of people in a comparable level as to chefs like uh, Escoffier and Alexis Sawyer. So yeah, it was an interesting uh, time for chefs, for sure. I mean, eating was also a sensual experience. There were probably quite a few famous chefs as we see through a lot of uh, comedies, of ancient comedies, where they satirize the rich and powerful, as uh, every comedy does. Yeah, if we have comments about food and cooking in the comedies, if it's commented upon, it probably means that um, it was they were quite famous and quite um, well-known. I would argue as well that once you have a text from 100 years or so ago, a book, a treatise, some subject, and maybe it's about a very elaborate food of a banquet that had, I don't know, some weird ingredient from the far-flung corner of the world. Maybe what does that tell to you? Maybe that doesn't mean anything. Maybe that doesn't have any impact um, in your life or any artistic or literal, you know, curiosity for, for the audience. Another author we have very little about him, again from Athenos, is um, Iatroclis. So Athenos cites two titles, Bread Making and uh, On Cakes. This author seems to be later than the 4th century BC. So we only have the tiniest fragments of Iatroclis surviving. And yet an impression of the geographical breadth of uh, his books remains. The few fragments that are known describe cakes from Kos, the island near Rhodes in uh, the Aegean, in, in south-east Aegean, Thessaly, Syracuse, Athens. So the passage goes like this. There are also Kribanae, and Kribanes is a name given by Alkman to some cheesecakes, as Apollodorus tells us. And Sosibius asserts the same thing in the third book of his essay on Alkman. And he says they are in shape like a breast and that the Lacedaemonians use them at the banquets of women and that the female friends of the bride who follow her in the chorus carry them about when they are going to sing an encomium which has been prepared in her honor. There is also Krimnites, which is a kind of cheesecake made 
of a coarser sort of barley meal called Crimnon, as Iatrocles tells us in his treatise on cheesecakes. Also from the 3rd century comes a fragment from Baton's comedy, Benefactors, which gives a further indication that cookery books had taken to distinguishing the origins of recipes, though this time attributing them not to places but to famous cooks. A cook seems to be speaking to a scullery maid. And here's the passage. Right, Sibini, we don't sleep at night. We don't even lie down. With lighted lamp, with book in hand, we work out what Sophon has bequeathed to us, or Simonactidis, or Tindaricus of Sicyon, or Zopirinus. It is not clear whether these were authors of cookery books. They may have been inventors of recipes, which would be written down by others, but they seem to belong to a different school of cookery. Chios and Sicyon recorded elsewhere as such. Sophon, from Acarnia, in central West Greece, was independently famous. These days, then, the cook's aim was not defined as devising the ideal combination of flavors, but as choosing the best of a varied selection of authorities from different culinary traditions for each dish. We can also mention two more authors of a cookery book. Heraclides of Syracuse and Epanetus are cited in the Epitome of Athenaus as authorities on quite a significant question. Epanetus and Heraclides of Syracuse say that the best eggs are of peahens, next best being those of shell ducks. They put hen's eggs third. And peafowl had come to the Greek world, from the east, obviously, in the 5th century, following the footprints of the domestic hen. But peafowl were expensive creatures, and the eating of peahens' eggs, which must always be a far rarer than those of hens and quail, is a form of conspicuous consumption. Before Alexander's time, so far as the sources tell us, no one in Europe ate a peahen's egg. If they are prized by gourmands, it is for the cost more than the flavor. Food for thought, hey? I leave it here, and um, you make up your own minds. I'll be back after this short break. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello there, sorry to interrupt. My name's Dr. Neil Buttery and I'm host of the British Food History Podcast, a podcast that you, as a fan of the delicious legacy, might be interested in. I explore British food and its history in all its glory, with interviews with special guests, recipes, reenactments, and tracking down forgotten recipes and hyper-regional specialities. Previous topics include medieval eels, 18th century dining, curry, London street food sellers, breakfast, and the good old Yorkshire pudding. Search for the British Food History Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to the delicious legacy. Cheers. Today's episode is brought to you with the welcome support of Malbin Greek, UK's leading Greek delicatessen, supplier and distributor of premium Greek produce. Whatever your needs, Malbin Greek has you covered. You can shop online and have the divine and delicious goods delivered to your doorstep across the UK or you can visit the shop at Art17 Apollo Business Park, Lucy Way, SC16, 4ET, Bermondsey, London. Malby and Greek, the one-stop shop for your Greek fix. And for you dear listeners, there's a fantastic discount of 15% if you use online the discount code DELICIOUS. Now, for some long-lost recipes some incredibly interesting fragments of these uh, ancient cookbooks. So we have a recipe from Artemidoros near Athens, without further indication of the source. And this is uh, about a particularly good variety of a dish called Matisse. So this was a boiled um, goose, so in that um, broth, Instead of vinegar, they used um, um, unripe grapes. And uh, the un- unripe grapes and the goose, they boiled slowly, with very carefully, so no pips are coming out from the grapes themselves. And this uh, is served uh, without the grape, but with uh, vegetables like uh, cabbage and so on. From the tiny fragments uh, from Oxyrinhus, we have uh, a recipe for a fish broth. Tells us what survived. It's just a few fragments here and there. So we have, for example, if you have pear barley, coriander, also onion, dill, something's missing here, fine anisus, which means aniseed, uh, all mixed up, cook the dish on coals by mixing it with a mixture from water, wine, and fish broth, with a question mark. When it's cooked and you want to take it away, sprinkle pepper, fig juice, and hot vinegar over it, and you let it cook a little, but then you protect it from the fire. Some people pour vinegar on it and cook everything after adding the greens, otherwise they do as above. Very mysterious, very, very open to interpretation, and uh, what exactly is this dish? But yeah. Almost seems like a version of a fish broth, a very refined, aromatic fish broth. 
Then there's another one about salted meat stew. Salted meat or pieces of ham. Meat raw in the same way. The cured meat is cooked beforehand so that you only get rid of its salty taste. Then you put everything in one dish. Four parts of wine, two parts of sweeteners, wine with question mark, one part vinegar. Dehydrate, perhaps that means roast, we don't know, dry coriander, thyme, aniseed and fennel after you've poured everything together from the start. Boil the mixture. When it's halfway done, add honey and mild caraway seeds to it. Others also put pepper on it. Pour the broth into a hot saucepan and throw in pieces of market and fresh bread. Again, the ways you can interpret this and make it, they seem endless. This one is a really interesting recipe and one which I've made um, many times. I've experimented um, in making it in a few different ways and I've got a recipe on my Patreon on how to make it. So I tend to make a brine with salt and water and let the pork there for a day, then I smoke it and then I make a sauce and all the different spices and herbs and ingredients. Uh, yeah, and you'll find this recipe on my Patreon. And of course, it's a very tasty recipe, I can assure you. And another one, lentil pulp. Carefully mash lentil pulp in bird meat broth and cook this or boil in wine, water, aniseed, caraway seeds, dry dill, but cook the lentil specially, grate onions, and that's it. That's where the recipe finishes. That's all we have. From another papyri, dot dot dot, with oil and vinegar, dot dot dot. Let the shoots of vines come to light. After you've washed and rubbed, scraped it, put mustard and honey on it, then dip. Cut up nice liver and dress it with oil. Stick them with salt, coriander, thyme, fig juice, vinegar on a skewer. Roast them hot and serve. Now that seems like a very nice recipe for liver skewers, for liver souvlaki. And another one. Carefully prepare loins and meats and fry them in salt, coriander, fig juice, as long as they only absorb such. In a saucepan, however, keep hot broth, vinegar, oil, one part, sweet wine, two parts, a little salt. When this mixture boils, throw in tips of oregano. And another one. Put the meat in a large bowl. Put it in the oven. When it's halfway done, pour out the broth and cut up the meat. Then put oil in a saucepan and put the meat in the oven again. When it's cooked, put vinegar with the above spices on it. Also add some salt if you pour it into a damp container. Also, some put the meat in a perforated pithos, a jar, and from a lump of salt, dot dot dot, so that from the meat, dot dot dot, and the rest they make similar. Some give a little, dot dot dot, before the vinegar to the meat. Absolutely fascinating. Have no clue how to interpret what remains of the recipe. Such a vague instructions. Another recipe fragment. Do dry calamus, I guess that's some kind of mint, vinegar in a mortar, also some fig juice and sweets, something like wine. With vinegar, leave the mixture for two hours to stand. Then pour 
the beautiful broth into a saucepan, put the strong broth in the oven. When it's cooked, add pepper to it. Take lavage, caraway seeds, two measures of wine, one measure of broth. When both are well cooked, add pepper, fig juice, dry coriander to it. <laughs> Again, what, what can I say? There's another recipe for uh, Mima, which is um, sauce, spread, something like that, which is basically any sacrificial animal or bird. Basically, you cut the meats and the loins in small pieces and you chop uh, the intestines really small and then you mix them with the blood of the animal. You sprinkle some vinegar, some uh, cooked cheese, silphium, cumin, fresh and also dried, some fresh thyme and also dried, some um, coriander, fresh, fresh and dried, and some sautéed onion or poppy seeds or the seeds of a sour pomegranate. And from the cook Hegesippus we have a Lydian dish called Candalos, which uh, is with uh, bread and meat and Phrygian cheese and dill and uh, broth. And finally, there is this um, amazing sauce from uh, the 5th century BCE called mitotos or mitotos, which is um, made from leeks, garlic, cheese, olive oil and eggs. And for me, in my mind, it has a connection to Rui, to the French Rui. So a sauce made with garlic, saffron, chili peppers, olive oil, breadcrumbs and sometimes egg yolks, which is often served with a bouillabaisse, the famous fish soup. So yeah, for me that kind of sauce, garlic, leeks, cheese, olive oil and eggs, seems to be the predecessor of Rui and the sauce that was served uh, with many different dishes and of course really tasty which I'm going to make um, and um, put an exact recipe and ingredients for my Patreon backers. And with these recipes, we've reached the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. I've been Thomas Dinas, and this was the Delicious Legacy Podcast. If you want the episodes ad-free, early, and with extra content, please subscribe to my Patreon page. There, if you go to the Delicious Legacy podcast, Patreon, you will find from $3 a month, you can get a wealth of archaeogastronomical content for your eyes and your ears. Also, please rate and review the podcast and do let me know your thoughts uh, about the stuff we discussed today via, obviously via Patreon if you want, or leave me comments uh, on YouTube or text me or tweet me and ask me anything you want. Remember, the podcast can only happen with your general support, so either help on uh, Patreon or Acast or spread uh, the word to other people so more people will listen and uh, that way we can reach a wider audience. Plus, don't forget that you can find the podcast on YouTube, on Spotify, on Acast, on Amazon, on um, iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your podcast from. 
Thank you. Have a lovely week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.